If you're new here around Cornerstone, you're probably wondering, what in the world is this church? Who are all these people? Um, you'll learn over time, but let me just say this. Um, I'm one of the elders here who happens to pastor, kind of give oversight to some of the people pastoring, but really glad to have you this morning. Um, you're going to find out, um, this is, this, I love this spiritual family. I'm, I'm pretty biased. I'm not going to lie to you. I know we're not perfect. But I'll tell you what, um, I believe Jesus is perfecting us through the work of his Holy Spirit and through the power of his word. And so we're going to be opening up God's word because we really truly do believe that it is God's word. And so if you don't have a Bible, there's going to be some people come down. They're going to hold up a Bible. If you'd like a Bible, uh, please take it. If you don't have one, feel free. It's a gift from us to you. You can totally uh, have it and um, hang on to it for yourself um, and, and use it uh, as we go along. But here's what I want to do. Um, I just want to start off by just reading to you the text that we're going to look at because I'm going to, I'm not going to be spending as much time. Oh, is it not there? Did I take it out? Oh, I'm not going to read it to you. Instead, what you're going to do is we're going to go along for the ride. So here we go. We have been teaching through the book of Matthew. The way that we've been trying to look at it is, is we've been looking at it from this idea of discipleship. We really do believe that every person that Jesus rescues and makes his very own, it's not now that we bide our time until Jesus returns, but Jesus is doing a work in us so that we might beckon others and call them to follow Jesus. Well, why? Well, the book of Matthew just keeps pounding this drum over and over and over again that Jesus isn't just anybody. He is the Messiah, the anointed one. He is the second person of the Trinity. He is Jesus Christ, King of kings, Lord of lords. He truly is God. He truly is human. And he is the only answer to the predicament that humanity finds themselves in. It doesn't matter. In this case, we've all come off a, of a week that was difficult from the standpoint of another school shooting. The answer to school shootings is Jesus. We're now also entering into a weird time in which this whole president and indicted and everything else. Let me tell you something. Aren't you glad that Jesus Christ reigns and rules over the universe? This is what Matthew's trying to say. In the midst of everything, Jesus is the long-awaited one. He is the Messiah. And in chapter 1, it launches off with this whole genealogy to show that he truly is who he says he is. He, he then follows it up with prophecy after prophecy after prophecy that the only one that could answer every single one of these prophecies from the Old, Old Testament is the person of Jesus. It shows him as he was baptized and received the Holy Spirit, the Father speaking down upon him. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. You listen to him. Why? Because he's the Messiah. Satan took him and, and he went out to Satan to be tempted and he overcame all temptation showing that there is nothing in this world that allures him because he reigns and rules over all things. Then he preached this amazing message called the Sermon on the Mount to remind us what lives of the kingdom are like. But then he continues from 423 to remind us he's the Messiah because he can heal, he can cast out demons, he can do exceedingly abundantly beyond all we can ever ask or think. He is the Messiah. And then last week we learned, though, that there were three different groups of people. There were the acceptors, the deniers, and do you remember the last group? It's really me asking. Fairweather fans, right? The people that are just along when things are going good, which those of you that are sports fans that are Fairweather fans, 
I'll pray for you. But in it, he wanted to make sure that he, they counted the cost because Jesus will not be a second love. Let me just say that so everybody hears it. Jesus is the pearl of great price. He's the treasure in the field. He's the forever king that we've longed for. He's the one that we can give up comfort in this world because we believe we have a forever home. He's the one who we can, we can give up even making maybe massive amounts of money because we believe we have a forever inheritance that can never be taken away. He's the forever king that is providing for us a forever family. And so therefore, the one who might come to know Jesus, but yet his family rejects him or her. Let me tell you this. While they may be rejected in this world, God as your good father will never reject you and you are being placed into a forever family. Matthew wants us to get this within because Jesus will not settle for being our second love because he's not just providing us anything. He's providing for us the forever kingdom to be with him him. He won't play a second love. And so he wanted to look at these, these people and say, look, you better count the cost because this is what it means to follow me. Now, what's so fascinating though, and this is where we're going to go today, is that this group of people go out with him. And if you remember right, he preached the Sermon on the Mount. He came and started healing people. He healed one who was a leper, one who was a paralytic, uh, Peter's stepmom that had a fever. And in the midst of all of it now, he comes out and he gets down finally and he tells the group of people, we're going to go to the other side of the lake. And so they go get in a boat. Now, for those of us that live in California, maybe we understand boats more. I grew up in Wyoming, which like, there's hardly any water in Wyoming, right? So you just don't have boats. But these particular boats that they were going down to get into, and we'll talk about, were probably held about 10 to 15 people. So Jesus tells them, and what's so cool is, is that it says that there were, in Mark, that there were other boats that were going to be going along with him. He had a plan. In fact, you see this like in Luke 7. He had set his face towards Jerusalem. He was going there. He had a mission to accomplish. The forever king was going, and he wasn't going just to defeat sickness or going to defeat disability or going to defeat Satan and his minions. He was going to defeat the greatest enemy that we face, sin and death. But he said, we got to get to the other side. So getting to the other side, it says, not the deniers or even not the fairweather fans, but his disciples jump in the boat with him. In other words, who had counted the cost? Well, them. Now, the scenario is this, as you kind of move along, is that Matthew says, like he says a lot of times before, he says, behold. Right, we don't say that anymore. Like, I didn't walk in here and say, Behold the elders that we'll be appointing, right? And so what in the world does the word of behold mean? It means check this out. It means you ain't going to believe what's going to happen next. And in that, it says there arose a great storm on the sea. Well, what sea? Well, it's the Sea of Galilee. It's really not a sea. It's just a really big lake. It's a lake that's about 13 miles this way and about eight miles this way and it holds about 6.6 billion gallons of water now that's going to become important to later it was a lake that sits check this out 600 feet below sea level all the water comes to it from mount Hermon, which sits a little over 9,000 feet 
And so one of the things that's important for us in this particular story, when we talk about this storm that was coming along, is that it was, you'd have the Mediterranean air that would come in, you'd have the mountain air that would come in, the cold air, you'd have now this Jordan Valley, the Jordan River runs through down to the Dead Sea, and all of that air comes together and it collides and storms were well known on this particular lake. But these dudes that were fishermen, right, they'd been there, kind of done that. <laughs> this week, it was so funny. I'm at the house, right? And did anybody heal, hear like the super loud lightning? Uh, like a week and a half, I think it was about a week and a half ago, did you hear that? Well, like for someone like me that grew up in the Midwest, that was pretty normal. You would have these huge lightning storms and booms all over the place. But my children came flooding out going, what in the world just happened? Why? Because they weren't used to it. But these particular guys, they would have been used to it. But the difference is, is he doesn't call it just any storm. He calls it a great storm. And even the word storm that he uses there, we get our word seismograph from. It was a great earthquakey feeling storm. In other words, this storm wasn't normal. In Mark, it's this great windstorm. In the book of Luke, it was a windstorm that, that the idea is that it came just pounding down upon the sea and all of these people that were sitting there were in a very weird spot and it says that the boat was and that word swamped actually means if you've ever been there on, on something before you have the high point of the wave right and then you have the low point and when you look up and you see those waves they look like just a giant wall these men were to be honest they were afraid the other thing it tells us about was the waves were breaking into the boat in the book of Mark to the point where the boat was already beginning to take on water. And Luke, it talks about this idea, and I love this word, they were in danger. No, duh. But Luke wanted to add it. You know, it's like Luke is like the doctor, so he comes along very factually. Oh, and by the way, they were in danger. Yeah, they were. But one of my favorite parts about this is, is that Jesus was asleep. is this man? Now, on one end, I think he was just exhausted. He just preached the Sermon on the Mount. He comes, he heals all these different people, been healing them all day on the Sabbath. It's nighttime. He's worn out. He's had to deal with these people that weren't sure they wanted to follow him. And I think he got into the boat and I think he just fell asleep. And that's, that's the way actually it talked about in Luke 8 is that as they were sailing, sailing he just fell asleep. In fact, the way Mark puts it is he went to the back and he was asleep on a cushion. He kind of made a little bit of a bed. But here's why I think he actually was able to sleep. As the Messiah, he had set his face towards Jerusalem. And let me just tell you something. When God decides to do something, you cannot thwart God. I think he laid there in that boat knowing, no, I'm going to Jerusalem. And so while they, all these things are going on, he has no worries because God is going to take him from point A to point B and nothing is going to stop our God. He knows the Father. The Father's love for him and care for him. He knows all of those things. But let me tell you something. The men on that boat didn't quite understand that yet. And here's what I think is going to happen, and here's what I want us to get into our heads. God was doing every aspect of it because he was wanting them to understand reality. 
And the way that I'll put it is, is God has these men with Jesus right where he wants them. And I want you to hear me very carefully. God is never afraid to bring us to our end that we might see him with truth. Okay, let me say that again just so you hear this. God is never afraid to bring us to our ends, to bring us to our wits end, to bring us to our physical end, to bring us to that point where we know nothing else that we can do in order to give us the reality, the reality of who Jesus Christ really is. And that's what he's doing with these guys. Now, last week I alliterated something, so I'll alliterate again. But in alliterating it, let me just say this. In order to give them reality... He needs to give them an awareness that we are highly limited. We are very limited. Now, what do we mean by that? Well, in this particular case, right, the guys come to him and it says they woke him and they, we were trying to get him to kind of stir up. Now, remember, right, this is important to the story. These weren't just anybody. These were fishermen, these were dudes that had lived out on this particular lake their whole life. There was nothing that they were afraid of. So probably what had taken place is they had tried everything that a fisherman is supposed to do. And finally, after doing everything, they were out of all possibilities. They were fearful for their very life. And they thought to themselves probably, well, we might as well ask the guy that heals people. That is so us, isn't it? I was in Africa and I was visiting these hospitals and hospitals in Africa and, and hospitals in the United States, you know, we complain about our hospitals, but I'm like, our hospitals are good. And I was asking this guy, this guy that was taking me through questions and, you know, I was like, oh, well, what are these people doing? Why are they here? And I noticed the groups of people that were all around just praying and, and I'm confused. And he walks up to me, he goes, Todd, I know why you're confused. I go, oh, like, Why? He goes, because in the United States, you try everything you can before you come to God. Here in Africa, everything we try is a pointless endeavor, so therefore we just come to God. What are we saying about that? There's a propensity within us to use our own strength to try to get to something. And what God is doing for these men, and I think what he does for us when he brings us to our wit's end is to remind us, apart from him, John 15, you can do nothing. He is never afraid to bring us to our wit's end. And it's not that he doesn't care. It's not that he doesn't love us. It's not that he's not able. He just knows until he brings us to that point, we won't see Jesus as our first love, as beautiful as he truly is. Not only that, but these guys say something that kind of helps us understand the, the extremeness for which they were kind of feeling at this particular point. That word there, save us, Lord, we're perishing. Here's probably more what it looks like in the Greek. It more looks like, Lord, save, we perish. And if you've ever been somebody that felt that way before, I remember when I was a little kid and I felt like I was drowning. I remember just crying out, Dad, save. This is what these guys were like. There was nothing else that they could do. They had tried everything. They were desperate and like Mark on the record, here's what they thought. Does this guy even care? Have you ever noticed throughout the Bible, there's a very fascinating reality that, that we face whenever we kind of see people. You'll see this like in Psalm 10, Psalm 13, Psalm 44, Psalm 51, these different Psalms. Is sometimes we have a fear that leads us to faith. 
That's the kind of faith that they have right now. They're freaked out. They're trying to figure out what's going on. They have an awareness now that they can't do anything. And so their only hope is to cry out to Jesus. This is the faith that they have. I think it's those questions that go through our mind. How can you let this happen? God, you seem so indifferent. You seem so unkind. How can you let me go through this? Do you see what's happening to me? God, do you even have the ability to deal with what's going on? He was bringing them to an awareness that not only are they in trouble and they can't do something, but they also have a wrong view of God. God's never afraid to get us to that point. You see this like with Paul in 2 Corinthians. He writes them and he talks about this idea that, that he was feeling to this point and he even talks about it that, it, that he just felt overwhelmed with what's going on. He felt like he didn't even know what to do with himself. And so God, not only on one end, was, not, was getting to that point where he saw his need for God, but on another side, he had this thorn in the flesh that he asked God three times, God, do you care about this thorn in my flesh? We don't know what it was, but God, can you help me? It's here. Lord, are you able? Do you care? Which brings us to the next thing. See, it's not only an awareness that God is going to give us, but we can see this in this particular story. Jesus is also going to admonish him. Now, the word admonish, sometimes we don't like because in our little minds sometimes, our Jesus is like, you know, a glorified therapist. And we come into Jesus, you know, and, or maybe even a glorified grandma or grandpa. Hey, you know, my life's falling apart. And he goes, hmm, that's too bad. Hmm, hmm. Mm. Come here and hug me. Just hug me. But yet in Jesus, sometimes we find that he's just blunt and honest. In this particular case, he looks at them and he says, why are you so afraid? Now, have you ever thought about how silly that question seems to us? Why are you so afraid? Because we're about ready to die. Right? I mean, it's like obvious. But the word that he's asking there that's so important, actually, that's a word that's rarely used in the New Testament. It's not the normal word, this Greek word phobos that he's using, but it's a word that we get this concept of maybe cowardly or timid. Let me put it to you this way. He was saying, why are you so timid? Timid of what? Not timid in themselves. I think what he's saying to them is, and this is why he talks about this idea of, oh, you of little faith. You're timid in your understanding of me. While everything is going on around them, where everything is happening, right in the boat with him, and this is the part they couldn't comprehend at this particular point in their life. Sitting next to them is the very one that spoke the entire universe into existence. Colossians 1 says that all things were created by him and for him and through him. All things hold together. They had no clue that the guy in the boat with him is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Why are you so timid? You have no clue who you're in the boat with. Now, if one of us said that, right, if we're in the boat and, you know, we look at somebody and go, why are you so timid? Well, it's because we have no ability but the one who heals, the one who casts out demons, the one who's in control of all things, that's who's in the boat with you. 
in Mark and Luke, one aspect is no faith, where the other one was, man, where is your faith? But the big issue that he's showing is, is you don't see me rightly. And let me tell you something. This is what Jesus is never afraid to bring us to these points in which we acknowledge we don't see Jesus like we need to see Jesus. The last, the next point is then Jesus steps in. I love this. He has authority. It says he rebuked the sea and the wind. That word rebuke speaks of always something that seems to be chaotic, out of order. Uh, you'll see this, he'll speak and rebuke people in sin. He'll rebuke demons. He'll rebuke things that are disordered in order to bring it into order. It's the, the way in which God spoke in Genesis 1 over this disordered world and what was disordered. He spoke it into existence. So if you can imagine, here's the very one that created all things standing up in the midst of the boat and he rebukes, he speaks a word out into everything that was existing. He spoke it to the winds and the sea that were all out of order. It says he rebuked and he, he spoke to the sea, it talks about it. He says in there he rebuked the wind and the raging ra waves in Luke 8, 24. And in Mark, it talks about this is exactly what he said. He said, peace be still. That word peace is this Greek word irene, which in the Hebrew, it's, it, it's shalom. What is disordered, he says to the sea and to the waves, be ordered. What is chaotic because of the fall, come into alignment. Be made right. And I love this. There was a great calm. What must that have been like? on one end, right, the wind stops. Okay, nah, I've had it there before. We're kind of like, oh, where'd the wind go? But have you ever tried to stop wind? We get into our houses and we think we're stopping wind, but our house is just kind of getting in the way. How do you stop the, the currents? And what do they call it now? What kind of river are we facing because of the rain? The atmospheric river, right? Can you imagine one of us standing up and going, I will stop the atmospheric river? Ain't gonna happen. That one blew my mind, but I was out with one of my little kids and we were carrying around this little bucket. And my kid said to me at one point, I can't keep the waves from keeping on going. And that was maybe a gallon of water. Who stops 6.6 .6 billion gallons of water and makes it glass? What? That is authority. It's almost like he's saying to them, I get that you can't, but do you get who I am? Peace, be still. The way it talks about in Luke is that there was not only a great calm, but the wind ceased, or Mark, and in Luke, it also speaks of it just ceasing in a calm. But the thing we come to is Jesus is unlimited. He is aware and he wants us to be aware of our inability. He's never afraid to speak to us with boldness. You're out of line. You don't, it's not that you need more confidence in yourself. That's the biggest lie, this whole self-confidence thing that people have. You don't need confidence in yourself. Why would you put confidence in someone who's a mess? I'm a mess, you're a mess. No, have confidence in me. Do you get who I am? And then authority, let me show you. 
the final one is, is an adjustment. Let me adjust things for you. What happens? I love this. The dudes marveled. In other words, they went, I don't know if you've ever stood before, like the Grand Canyon, you come out there, and that, you know that just, maybe the Tetons, but these guys watched the sea go to class. And it wasn't just that they marveled, it says they were filled with great fear. Why? Well, because the very thing they thought was gonna kill them, that guy told it to stop. That's why Luke and Mark make sure they understand these guys had not just any kind of fear, they had phobos, they were freaked out at who this guy is. It was so much to the point that in this field with great fear, it says, what sort of man is this? The idea is we don't have any categories for this guy. Who is he? How does he, what? And Matthew's point is, it's who I've been telling you all along. He isn't just anybody. He is truly man, but he is truly God. He is Messiah. Now, the thing I love about this, when they talk about the winds and the sea obeying him, is that in this particular group of people, when we talk about acceptors, deniers, and fair-weather fans, acceptors and deniers are fearful of Jesus, but they're drawn to him. It's kind of like with me, with my dad, man. I'd be fearful and I'd, I'd have a terrible nightmare at night, right? Is I thought that my dad was the one guy who could kill the boogeyman and slay Batman and, you know, do all those different things. And so when I was fearful, I ran to him. These acceptors, like Peter's going to later do when he says, no, 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 no. You are the son of the living God. John 6 where else can we go? You have the words of life. They saw him and were drawn to him. So let me go back through these a little bit. I'm going to keep going. He was redoing their reality. He was never afraid to bring them to the point where they absolutely didn't know what to do with themselves in awareness. He admonished them the faith of seeing King Jesus, the authority speaking into it. But then there was an adjustment. Let me just say this. We're all at those points in different facets of our life. And if you're there right now, like these men, you're in the best place you can be. The best possible place. Embrace the reality that you don't know what to do or how to do it. Lately, I, and I know some of you have already parented and you're going to laugh what I say. I don't know how many of you felt as parents like, I don't know what to do. I remember sitting there one night, you know, my wife's talking about what should we do, you know, and I'm trying to think, okay, I need to show confidence. I need to show I know what I'm doing. But as the more she talked, I was like, I don't have a clue. <laughs> but then there's those deeper, kind of almost dark moments where we can't even pretend like we know what to do. One of the things that I hope you think in your head at that particular moment is God, you have me right where you want me to be. See, to Paul in 2 Corinthians 1, it was so that he might learn not to rely upon himself, but on the God who delivers the dead. In 2 Corinthians 12, it's so he might learn, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. I have you right where I want you to be. 
and then just draw near to Jesus. But there was another group of people. On one end, we have the acceptors, but on the other side, we have this deniers. Now, let me show you this, how this kind of works out. As Jesus crosses the other side of the lake, he finally, it says, he gets to the other side, probably on the northeast end of the Sea of Galilee, to the country of the Gadarenes. Now, the Gadarenes, you're going to see like in Luke and Mark, we, we, they have different names. There's Gerasa, Gadasa. There's these different names that are used for them, speaking more of the cities of that area. Jesus is speaking of the country, the area of the, the, Gadasa, the Gadarenes. There we go. They get over there, and the first thing that they run into is two demon-possessed men. In Luke and Mark, it says there's one, just because there was kind of one that kind of stuck out to those guys. But there was two that came up to him. And coming out of the tombs, which would have been these caves that would have sat up against there, as you're coming in, they lived, it says, amongst those, those caves, which of the coldest, darkest place you could ever imagine is caves. I used to live really close to a cemetery as a kid. I never wanted to walk there, but yet these guys lived there. And one time in my entire life, I've encountered somebody that was where these two men are. And not only did they freak me out, but look what it talks about. Is that coming out of the tombs, they met these men that were so fierce that no one could pass that way. In Mark and Luke, it talks about chains couldn't even hold them back. And we're going to spend more time later on the, down the road talking about demons. But these are real demons. In fact, it talks about these demons that were in them. The way that it referenced them was is that there were a multitude of demons inside of them. And the idea that we're trying to get across that Matthew's trying to say is it was freaking people out. And so they pushed them to the outside of town. Now, here's what's so fascinating. This they probably speaks of the demon and the person all at one time cried out. And let's look at the first one. Have you come here to torment us before the time? Well, what does that mean? In coming there, those demons knew exactly who Jesus is. He's the one who's going to come and judge all things. The time that they're referencing to is a time in which demons and humanity will experience judgment. And their whole point is, is this not the time yet? What are you doing here? Are you going to torment us now? Meaning, what is the outcome for these demons? Torment apart from God forever. They knew exactly who he was. In fact, they called him, look at that word, what have you to do with us who? Son of God. The answer to the question the disciples were asking is, what type of a man is this? Who speaks of this way? Isn't it fascinating? Jesus doesn't answer it. Matthew doesn't answer it. Demons answer it. What? Those demons knew exactly who the Son of God was. In fact, in the book of Luke, it talks about these ones that, that the demon, when a demon came out of one person, screamed, oh, son of God. There's this idea of they knew exactly who Jesus is. He is truly the Messiah. He's the anointed one. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He's the second person of the Trinity. Truly God, truly man that was standing in front of these people and those demons knew exactly who he was. And in Matthew and Luke, it talks about they fell before him. Who is this? I'm just imagining everybody seeing this. In Luke, like I said, he calls him the son of God. In Matthew, Peter later calls him the, the true living son of God. And after they were done, 
For whatever reason, Matthew tells us about a herd of many pigs that was feeding some distance from them. All right. I mean, I sat there the first time going, why in the world are the pigs there? And the more I studied, you know what the answer is? I don't know. (laughs) But in this, the demons beg, saying, if you cast us out, send us into the herd of pigs. What? No, I think on one level, they're probably thinking, okay, I can either be cast into torment my entire life, so let me think about this for a second. What's the worst possible place I could go right now that isn't towards torment and hell forever? How about those pigs? My children do this with me all the time. Instead of, Dad, this punishment, could I get this? They find it as close as possible, right? It seems to be that's the case. And I love this. Jesus says, go. Notice there's a period, not an exclamation point. Go. Now, if this would have been me, like, I think I'd be kind of faith healerish, man. I'd be like, ah, go. Not Jesus. He just says, go. That's authority. Demons are not to be messed with, but yet one word. They went into this herd of pigs, probably to signify that they were now out of these particular men, and they were now in these particular pigs. These pigs are being tormented. That's how they knew it. They're being tormented. It even talks about in the Bible, those with demons cut themselves, do all kinds of terrible things to them. And almost as validation that those demons were no longer inside of those men, but were now inside of this herd of pigs, which was about 2,000, what we learned from Matthew or Mark and Luke, they run over and they go off the side of the cliff as evidence that Jesus did exactly what he said. Now here's what's fascinating. The first group of people drew near to Jesus. The acceptors drew near to Jesus. Now watch this. The herdsmen did what? They ran away. One group sees Jesus and says, what kind of man is this? And they press into him. Another group runs away. And this is going into the city. They told everybody everything, especially what had happened to the demon-possessed men. And you know this after hearing that news. Everybody must have come out going, yay, woo, this is awesome. No. The city came out to Jesus, it says, and when they saw him, they begged him, leave. Isn't that fascinating? One group of people saw Jesus as truly Messiah and they said, turn my life upside down. Show me you. And the other group of people said, you know, actually, it'd be better for us if you put the demons back inside of those people because at least then we could keep them on the outside of the kind of the the town a little bit. And what is known is sometimes more comfortable than what's unknown. I kind of like them out there. It's the person that does drugs, right? The, the, the known. I mean, I, that's the way I was when I did drugs. You, you have this known, and sometimes you just get stuck in it, and the idea of being out of it almost in a kind of a weird way freaks you out. I have the known. Jesus, I don't want you to turn my life upside down. I just have my, my kind of my, my controllable little world here. But the king won't play that. It says you're going to learn. He left. Now, let me just throw this out to you. I don't know where everybody is today. 
I know inside of this room there's acceptors. You've encountered the King Jesus, man, and you've walked down some paths that are difficult and hard and tough. You've been like maybe these apostles, right, and these people around him, you're like, God, what are you doing here? Do you actually care what's going on? Do you understand what's happening? But at the end of it, you learn anew and afresh like Paul did, maybe through being saved or learning the amazing grace of Jesus. You press into that king. You're drawn to him. You see him as more beautiful even than it was before. Where are we going to go, Jesus? You have the very words of life. And if that's you, praise God. But I think there's others of you in here that are deniers. God has showed up. He shook your world like a snow globe. And in a weird way, instead of running to him, you've run away. Let me just say this. I believe the Son of God is beckoning you. If you're that person, come to him. Will you be afraid? Yes. But that fear will draw you into him. You will run into grace. You will run into love. You will run into forgiveness. See, for a lot of you in here, you kind of have played on the fringes. Maybe you are like that Fairweather fan. You've played on the fringes a little too much. And in your mind, you know, I've just kind of sinned too much. I'm just going to settle for being in mediocrity. Why? Why would you settle for mediocrity when God is offering you the pearl of great price and the treasure in the field? Repent. Come to Jesus. Will you have to deal with issues in your life? Of course you will. That's why we have opportunities for care. I mean, I've got over here right now, I've got Val sitting here. She'll walk with you. Any of us will walk with you through it. Don't run. Don't push away. Don't get comfortable in the known. I get it. Following Jesus into that unknown is scary. But who would you rather be in the boat with? Jesus. The King thing you've been longing for your entire life. I think that's where we're at. Man, buy into the awareness that we can't. Confess that we need admonishment. Look into the authority of Jesus and adjust your view of the king. Because life is not going to get easier. I sat with countless people, not from Cornerstone, different people. You know, what, what, what are we going to do once they indict Trump? Worship Jesus. <laughs> and I'm not saying that flippant. Leaders come and leaders go. God remains forever. He causes leaders to rise and causes leaders to fall. He causes kingdoms to rise and kingdoms to fall. You think I'm worried about what's going to happen inside of the United States? God has been in the kingdom building and kingdom destroying business for thousands and thousands of years. Because, no, listen, one more thing and then you can clap. <laughs> Why? Because our king isn't building a temporary kingdom. He is bringing the forever kingdom. Now you can clap. Amen. So church, the waves may be high, it may be crazy, don't forget who's in the boat. Peace.
be still. And all God's people said, amen. amen.